Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to a spectacular episode of Caged In. As ever, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, your crypt keeper for the evening, Petros Patsunibus. We're here to talk about Nicolas Cage's first foray into the world of horror. The 1988-89, well, maybe we'll get into when the fuck this film was released uh, in this conversation. Vampire's Kiss, directed by Robert Bierman. And you could say this film is a horror, comedy, workplace drama. Again, something we will get into during this conversation. This film stars. Nicolas Cage, Maria Conchita Alonso, Jennifer Bills, Cassie Lemons, and Elizabeth Ashley, based on a script by Joseph Minion. So joining me today is not one, but three fantastic guests of the ghoulish kind. First up, we have the Duke of Spook, Jonathan Foster. Next up is the Doc of Shock, David Rosen. And last, by no means least, is the undead Daryl Edge. How are you, gentlemen? Hello. Hey, doing great. <laughs> I feel like I feel undead at the moment, so that's surprisingly apt, but otherwise <laughs> uh, I'll die after Vampire's Kiss is done and not a second before. That's good. That's kind of how the film ends. <laughs> I want someone to drive a stake into my torso at the moment, given how I'm feeling, but... I- I, I, I stole those nicknames from uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. They are two of the nicknames that they give to Death when he's introduced on stage at the end. Mm. And I felt like the... There if we I, go. If I'd used the third one for you, Daryl, like, uh, it would have felt like a personal attack because it is the man with no tan. And as a, <laughs> as a, as a fair-skinned ginger gentleman, I feel like that would have been too much of a kind of assault on who you are as a person. So I, I opted for the undead. It, it felt less personal. There's, there's a fine line between assault and facts, and you know, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> Amazing. So, yeah, let's obviously, that was the voice of Daryl. Uh, just so listeners can keep track of who is who, Jonathan, could you, uh, yeah, give us, give us a little, little whisper of your voice? Hi, my name is Jonathan Foster. <laughs> hey, how's it going? <laughs> And David, let's let's hear those let's hear those tones. I was gonna wear my vampire teeth for this podcast, but I couldn't find them, so 
<laughs> for everybody listening at home, this is what I sound like. It might have been bad for the edit, though. We heard from the, you know, when he tried to call the doctor with his teeth in. Do you have a cold? A cold. Yeah. Yeah. So let's start off. I'm going to ask you guys. Uh, we'll start with you, David. When, when did you first see Vampire's Kiss? Was it a lasting memory? Believe it or not, it was just a few days ago. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that insane? Oh. I, I've been a yeah. Nicolas Cage fan my whole life. I've seen these scenes a million times in various, you know, the YouTube compilations and stuff like that. Somehow never saw it. And I'm actually later today going to be guesting on a podcast talking about Once Bitten. And uh, oh, yeah. it, this was going to come up. And I was like, I might as well finally get around to Vampire's Kiss. And so I watched it. And then I saw that you were looking for guests. And I was like, hey, this works out. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, we'll get into your opinions on the film, I'm sure, as we get into get into this conversation. But sure, oh, we got we got fresh blood, as it were, to find mm-hmm. kids. Uh, Daryl, what about yourself? Obviously, you've covered this on your podcast, Cage Rage. But had you seen it before covering it on that podcast? Yeah, I had. And I think uh, just bouncing off what David was saying, I think I saw it in like the classic Nicholas Cage losing his shit compilations. Mm-hmm. Um, before I was more au fait with Nicolas Cage and his work. So I had just seen this out of context at a young, impressionable age and thought, this is now going to shape my adult years as well as my teenage years. And it did. Um, Watched it with friends maybe in 2009, 2010. Um, And it was, you know, obviously we'll get into it, but at that point in my life, it was a fever dream of a film. Um, it, it's, it's, yeah, just just an incredible film. And even for all your descriptions at the start, horror, comedy, workplace, drama, none of those describe what this film actually is. <laughs> um, and I, I think I've now seen it. This is maybe the fourth time I've seen it, um, which is some may say two times too many, uh, but I will watch it at least four more. Yeah, this, this weirdly was a big, like, drinking beers with buddies, like, let's put on Vampire's Kiss movie for me, like, in my kind of late teens, early 20s. Like, we would just watch this on hard rotation. So, like, it's um, it feels like a weird one because it is, yeah, it's such a, a weird mix of what the fuck is it? And I think that is very much what the film has become to a lot of people. But what about you, Jonathan? Like, when did you first see it? Like, when what were you, yeah. What was, it? what was that like? Yeah. Um, to be honest, I probably saw this when I was a kid, and it would have been like, you know, I was way too young to even understand what the fuck was going on in it. <laughs> but I hadn't seen it since. And so it's almost like it was the first time again, haven't seen it just the other night for this. And, you know, I guess, like, Dave, I saw your post, and I was just like, oh, been meaning to give this a rewatch anyway, so I'll, I'll check it out and it'll be fun to jump on, have a catch up. But yeah, I mean, given the nature of my job, you know, I guess much like the other guys, like, you know, you see 
these clips and everything on YouTube and, you know, it's like stuff of legend, the Nick Cage stuff, but then also like given the nature of my job, if uh, anybody out there has heard me on one of your episodes before, I've been a guest a couple of times, you know, I work at the Prince Charles Cinema and I do a lot of the PR marketing, which means I know many films via like GIF form and <laughs> this is one of them. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of like where my relationship with the film had been up to this point. Well, this, this film is on the Mount, uh, Mount Olympus, on like the Mount Rushmore of, of memeified movies, right? It's kind of like in GIFs. It's kind of like a wellspring of GIFs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, let's, let's kind of jump into the film itself. And who wants to dive on the stake of taking the plot synopsis of this film? Who wants to, who wants to take that silver bullet? So Nicholas Cage stars as Peter Lowe, a literary agent um, in a New York firm who um, who is a bit of a weirdo in any way, but then one day gets um, assaulted and aroused by a bat before being bitten by a lady who may or may not be a vampire and then goes through a slow, strange metamorphosis into a vampire, but also just weird and strange and it is the most Nicolas Cage of the Nicolas Cage films. Yeah. That's about I mean, right. Yeah, that's fair. I'd yeah. say he, you know, ends up going from being on the top of, like, you know, a literary agency into homelessness as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I want to... I One thing I want to do is for you guys to listen to this, because this is the trailer for the film. And kind of like cast your minds back as if you can to, to when you had not seen this film. Is this the film you watched? How was your weekend? It's all right, you know. There's nothing worth shattering. He was an ordinary guy. Morning, everyone. Morning. Looking for an extraordinary love. <laughs> I'm Peter Lowe. Rachel. I brought this girl up to my place the other night. It started with a kiss. Really hot. A very special kiss. You wanted her very badly. Yeah. A kiss that could drive you mad. I hate interrupted love affairs, don't you? Yep, 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 yep. It's affecting his work. There you are! It's a horrible, horrible job. And you have to do it. It's ruining his appetite. My next appointment with you is uh, Tuesday afternoon. I'd like to make it sooner. It's spoiling his sleep. Sooner. And don't think people haven't noticed. Am I getting through to you, Alva? He is so eccentric. My, my. For Peter Lowe. That's just love. Love? Love. In the big city. Yeah! Don't laugh. I'm a professional. I don't laugh. I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! <laughs> Nicholas Cage. The tortures of the damned! Maria Conchita Alonso. Shoot. Do it or I'll fire you. Do you understand? <laughs> Not the floor, Alva. And Jennifer Beals. You are so pathetic. Vampire's Kiss. Strange stuff. I'll never do that again. Jeez. 
So, what do we make of that? Is is that the film we all watched? No. Yeah, that just feels like some bizarre 80s rom-com that, like, makes it feel like it's a little more happy-go-lucky than it actually is. (laughs) That that feels like that uh, video that's, like, a a fake trailer for The Shining where they turn it into a rom-com. Yeah. Like, that's what that feels like. Yeah, though that is the that is the genuine article original trailer for this film, and it makes it feel like I know a film that you've discussed on the podcast Cinecast, John, is Teen Wolf. You discussed that on 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 the podcast just last week. It makes it feel like that kind of film, that, that, don't oh, you think? Yeah. As opposed to like, as opposed to like the I don't know. Who wants to take a stab at like? what genre this is i know that's kind of hard like daryl tried to give us a plot stop, but what what genre is this david what 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 kind of what would if you had to pigeonhole this what would you say it is that's a really difficult question i mean dark comedy is the closest thing i could think of but like very pitch dark because i mean you know we'll get into it later but i mean it gets into a lot of different themes about you know, uh, toxic people and toxic bosses and workplace issues. And it's not just a vampire movie. It's not necessarily a comedy comedy and it's not uh, a horror movie. Really. It's just, it's just more of like just a really weird fucked up dark comedy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Is that the type of thing? Is that the type of thing you, you, you would go for normally, Jonathan? I mean, to be honest, it was like right up my alley. Um, I wasn't really sure like what I was going to expect from it, like, you know, given all the years of like just seeing the silly gifts and all that. And, you know, that can always sort of ruin a film or an experience for you if you feel like you're going in with some sort of expectations. But uh, it kind of really surprised me in ways. Of course, it's like silly and it's goofy and there's stuff going on in it that I'm sure we'll get into that just doesn't really make sense. But at the same <laughs> time, it like kind of shocked me of like how. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, it's really existential and weird. And, like, there's a lot going on in it. And Cage is giving such a weird performance that on the surface, if you're, like, looking for the funny bits, then it's, like, of course it's funny and it seems goofy and you can't really describe what he's doing. But then when you, like, kind of really sit back and, like, kind of go with it, if you don't, Mm. you know, put up too many barriers, then, like, you really start to see that he is, like, doing something actually kind of magical on screen and it doesn't make (laughs) sense. And I I don't think he gets enough credit for, for that film. Cause like, it shouldn't just sit as this like, Hey, it's a gif. Oh, Hey, it's funny. Oh, Hey, it's the guy running around screaming. I'm a vampire in the streets. Yeah. That shit's funny. But like, he's actually doing something kind of incredible underneath it. Yeah. He said in like a GQ like piece, I think they did like a video series where they kind of get, talent to like go through their work and like pick out their favorites and he's always said this was like his testing ground for his like nouveau shamanic way of acting and it's like cited it as being like his favorite film he's ever done because i know like with the unbearable weight of massive i believe that he says that like the cabinet of dr caligari is his favorite film and i think in real life yeah it actually is and it's like Mm. this is German expressionism. German has even got like a moment where he's watching Nosferatu and then there's yeah, scenes where yeah. he's kind of moving about the club like Nosferatu. People can't yeah, see him actually he totally doing pulls that. <laughs> the Count Orlock sort of thing out. Like and even some of the shots and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um 
that they use in the film like just feel like they're riffing on Nosferatu. So yeah, yeah, you get the, you get the feeling that the character that he's playing uh, knows those characters and knows those movies and maybe is drawing from some of that uh, in what he's doing as he's starting to lose his mind. That's what I felt anyway. Yeah. I feel like it's also he's like early in his career and he hasn't quite figured it all out yet, like what he actually wants to do. And he was like obviously testing some boundaries um, and it kind of was a playing field. Like I read that he also had said something that was like for his like stepping grounds into like because um, he, you know, he's on the preface, prep, precipice of like, you know, actually making it like big in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. And he kind of had a little more free reign to get away with what he wanted to because there's not really that many people properly in charge on set here and he's like you know able to just kind of like you know just do whatever not whatever he wants to but like kind of like just explore his creativity and um i believe he was saying that he like was using it as a way to like test how he would move into the bigger budget studio pictures and how he would deal with that so it's really fascinating to look at the timeline of this because this would have been, sh- it was actually shot in 1986 and kind of just like sat on the shelf for a bit. So like that year, you can only imagine like the three performances he po- possibly would have done like in a row would have been this, Moonstruck and Raising Arizona, which I think are yeah. kind of like the three of the cornerstones to kind of give us who Cage is moving forward. Like it's kind of sure him yeah kind of flexing these different muscles and it's this one kind of i don't know feels like it's lost in the shuffle in regards to the way that it's perceived by audiences especially and i always think like the way that people lambast this movie but hold like american psycho up to be like this and it's basically the same movie right yeah yeah i mean i was sitting there watching it just thinking that Peter Lowe was totally like just a, you know, an associate mm-hmm. of like, you know, Patrick Bateman, you know, he's like totally in the same circles and they probably are giving each other tips of like the best way to like murder some poor woman. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, you that, get that scene with the XX was just like one business card discussion away from going full American side. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, when, yep. when they're all talking to each other and like kind of like patting like patting Peter on the back for like and then you chased her into the bathroom, you sick dog. Like and all like laughing <laughs> about it. It's like that is like if that's not the yeah. the pictures of black comedies then like like then this is the darkest film ever made. Like they yeah. kind of <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I read something like Brett Easton Ellis had to have, like, you know, caught a screening of this film before he was writing American yeah. Psycho, you know, like, just, just like, totally influenced by this. Um, yeah, it's odd. I mean, you mentioned, like, the time period of when this came out. It kind of, like, freaked me out a bit when I was looking at the year, because I was, like, 89. That seems so odd in my head. Like, um, this was, like, pre-Moonstruck, pre-Raisin uh, Arizona, um, which it technically was. But like, it actually wasn't released until after, and that kind of like seems so wrong. And maybe that also kind of has a bit of a problem with how the film is perceived by people mm. who've seen Nicolas Cage play some relatively like uh, safer and uh, more critically acclaimed roles up to this point. And then you see that as like, whoa, that's a weird step back. Yeah, like, it's, they can't quite fathom what it is. It's, you know? 
I, I think something like it's I think it's uh Chris Hemsworth, like after the four after he'd kind of broken into the MCU, all of a sudden they brought I think it was like the Red Dawn remake off the shelf, and then like that that movie was like filmed way before, and then there's like, oh, it feels like a different guy. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like is this is when he's like really fresh, like wet behind the gills, and it's like, yeah, like it's weird when that happens. How do you want to tackle this film? Obviously, going beat by beat, guys, would be would be kind of drag. Let let's open it out onto the floor and ask like some of the the more memorable scenes for you. Obviously, this film is immensely kind of broken out of context and uh, clipped up the wazoo all over the place but like is there is there stuff that potentially isn't in those kind of clip reels that that, that stands out to you daryl is, is what what scenes kind of like spring to mind and don't you goddamn say that alphabet scene we'll get to that <laughs> um well i've you know obviously we're saying this is I think this is kind of like the epitome of a film where it can be taken out of context and just memefied. And I think this film is maybe not solely responsible, but there's a lot of um, uh, reasons why this film is maybe out of context responsible for the way that Nick, the people think Nicolas Cage is as an actor. They sort of think his acting is this, because you just see Nicolas Cage losing his shit. Um, and there are like huge exaggerated mannerisms, and we're talking about him stalking like Nosferatu through the nightclub, and like just looking at some like stills of this as well in like black and white. I think Nicolas Cage, if he was uh, an actor in the thirties, would have been like the biggest horror actor of all time <laughs> if he was in the thirties. Yeah, um, no question in my mind. Um, but I think when we're talking about Cage going the extra mile. If we can't talk about the alphabet scene, all right. Um, I think the next one that comes to mind um, is, is sort of the cockroach scene in his apartment as well. Yeah. Um, so I think it was something like the script called for him to like eat an, like a raw egg or something, yeah. but then they found a cockroach and he ate a live cockroach that to do two takes of it because um, they wanted something like memorable that was going to get a stick with the film because i think they said in commentary or what i've read online that if you think about it the stakes of the film are actually quite low it's just he's just harassing his assistant to find a contract for two hours of the film <laughs> and that that's that's quite a low stake as far as films go when you've got this like it's like every scene as the film progresses there's there has to be something more unhinged about his character even though he's a foul person let's not make any bones about it because he's so I don't even know what he is. It's so exaggerated and heightened and ridiculous. He kind of, I don't know if I'm just, if I'm terming something completely wrong here, like an almost like a Walter White effect, even though these are bad people, you, you, you go with them and you stick with it mm -hmm. because there's something ridiculous and funny about him. And when he's eating that cockroach, it's like disgusting, but at the same time, you're like, oh, classic Peter Lowe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think one that... of the more impressive things about that scene is that, like, I read that he was actually completely mortified by cockroaches, and it was sort of like a thing of him. I don't know, you know, want to throw a Joe Rogan reference out there, but uh, going on Fear Factor on set before <laughs> Figure Factor existed, and uh, getting over his fear of the cockroaches for. A ridiculous scene yeah like i mean like you said it, it really does just show how much more unhinged he is at that point 
Hendricks. Well, he was like trying out a lot of stuff like in this in regards to like when he wrecked that when he wrecks that room, like when he's kind of like like lose yeah, absolutely losing his mind. They just let him and like Robert Beerman was like, what like I don't know why we actually let him do that because it's like a massive kind of like insurance <laughs> risk, like smashing mirrors and stuff like that. But the the budget of this movie was what two million dollars, and uh, mm. I've got yeah, I've got, <laughs> I've got I've got a little clip of of Nicolas Cage talking about what he did with his his share of of of, of his fee. Also, because it was such a cheap movie, and and I mean cheap, this movie cost under two million dollars for wow. everything. And I know you did it for an amazing fee. Well, you know what I did? I did it for, it was $40,000, and uh, I took that money and I bought my first sports car with it, and I still have it. Oh, really? Yeah, and now, it, you know, I... What I did never, you buy? I bought a, a 1967 uh, 427 Stingray Corvette. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, and I still, I still have it. And the car is still worth the same amount it was then. <laughs> so um, I want to ask you guys a question. To go around, Daryl does Nicholas Cage. Bearing in mind he has had some financial troubles, does he still own that car? Yes or no? Does he still own that car? Yes or no? I'm. I'm gonna. I feel like it's probably been seized in that time, but I'm gonna say yes. Jonathan, yes or no on the car? Um, he sounded. I was just really distracted. He sounded really drunk in that clip. Um, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I yeah. I mean, I think it's probably like buried inside of his uh, pyramid tomb. And David, mm. what do you reckon? What do you reckon? Do you reckon yeah, Cage? I'd like to hope. I'd like to hope it's an important one that he actually like held on to. But you know, who knows? In that in that in that time frame when he was losing things. Wow. Um... <laughs> Guys, I hate to break it to you. He said 1963, right? He didn't say 1964. 1963 was the year. I think that's what he said. I think so, yeah. So, yeah, it's here. So, uh, this Corvette was owned by Nicolas Cage until 2005. And then he made a pop. He made a profit on it. He made a profit on it, guys. It sold for uh, $121,000. So he kind of took that 40 nah, and that was pretty good. Yeah, tripled it pretty much. He's, yeah. he's done all right for himself. <laughs> and then he immediately bought like a dinosaur egg and lost it all. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, and 2005 as well. It's kind of even more heartbreaking because it's pre-financial woes. Do you know what I mean? This would have been like the height of Cage. This would have been like coming off the oh. back of like, uh lord of war stepping into um i don't know maybe like national treasure era do you know what i mean he would have been he would have been on that yeah. disney money ah oh, motherfucker but yeah there is a there is an article <laughs> on hotcars.com <laughs> uh i don't know uh nicely titled yeah i guess i guess i guess very sympathetically titled cars nicholas cage owned before he went broke <laughs> oh. heartbreaking um i feel like the that... four of us should buy it back for him i think yeah well uh, this, this... go fund me 
the, yeah. the, I, I, and this kind of come to me just now that feels like an episode in itself just going through these these cars but uh, yeah. i'm not going to take us down that rabbit <laughs> hole because we'll be here all night <laughs> mm-hmm. i mean that could be a whole new podcast for you once you get through all the coppolas you can just go through nicholas cage's financial history <laughs> just read just reading yeah. out tax returns and yeah <laughs> every purchase oh, okay. he's ever made Caged in presents Coppola's cars. <laughs> Caged in presents Cage's taxes. <laughs> there'll be a fallow period because I don't think he paid them for a few years, so there'll be a big, a big, a big old gap. Um, mm-hmm. well, um, Jonathan, what? Yeah, what? What scenes stick out for you in this? I mean, to be honest, any scene with Alva, like, because that really is just like the crux of the movie isn't it like Mm -hmm. and that's something i didn't really expect going into this having like you know not seen it since i was a kid and basically all i remember from being a kid of this film was like nicholas cage is a vampire and i wasn't even really accurate on that like and even living through gifts like um when you try not to like look up you know what actually is going on a full plot synopsis of a film and you kind of go in cold on a film like you know, really surprised me how, like, it, like, it was, yeah, it was crazy. Like, the whole Alva thing is, is funny. Like, we were talking about Patrick Bateman and American Psycho. I mean, like, that whole relationship really, you know, you, it just really feels like it could have been from that same story. Just like how, I mean, I particularly the worst scene is like when he's, uh, basically like he's, been raking her over the coals over this stupid document and he gets the phone call from the guy who basically and we can hear it we can hear that the guy basically is saying oh you know that you know document you're looking for i know you guys are busy and you and your girls you know are really busy got better things to do don't worry about it don't worry about it (laughs) meanwhile he's just like "Uh uh-huh you too you too (laughs) and then he gets off the phone as you can see i couldn't get a word in edgewise (laughs) you know and it's just like he's being such a dick and then it just how it escalates so far to like the point where he like apparently rapes her or whatever which Mm. it's like i wasn't expecting a rape turn in this film um but yeah uh (laughs) still like you know i have a bit of a joke anytime a a film that is actually kind of good goes rapey it's like it's rapey but kind of good like so that's kind of like where this film went and it's kind of surprising but yeah and there's that kind of i don't know awe striking moment as well when she's like are you gonna rape me and he goes yes i am so fucking weird like i mean the good thing is he kind of gets his comeuppance and it's not like you know i don't like i think it's it's it could be a dangerous line if people want to live this life or like live this film through the life of like gifts and memes and stuff and don't actually sit down and watch it you know like you know what i mean like because like mm-hmm. it's not like he's not a hero he's not a sympathetic character he is a piece of shit and i think you know if we view films that way like particular like uh american psycho or or fight club you know i went through a whole history of going through these like very uh incel-esque films and stuff not that i'm saying peter Lowe feels like an incel at all but like um that sort of style of man toxic masculinity on screen and stuff like you know if people like are viewing these films and feeling so like you know wanting to like glorify the characters and all that stuff but don't actually sit down and 
really watch what's going on in the film, then like that's a problem. And mm-hmm. I hope more yeah. people stop living this film, like living through this film like a meme and actually just watch it. You know? Yeah. I- Another movie that I watched for the first time just like recently, like a year or two ago is Saturday Night Fever. And that's another movie where you're like, yeah. you just have no idea what's happening in that movie. If you haven't seen it, you just, yeah. you get this idea of it, that it's this fun loving movie. And these people are just awful. Like they're just some yeah. of the worst people. And that's what's happening here. And uh, I, if I could just jump right on top of what Jonathan's saying, because I was going to also answer that all the, all the scenes are like my favorite things about the movie. Like you're getting this like incredibly toxic situation between boss and, uh, and, and secretary also between man and woman between, uh, you know, these two people, this power dynamic between them. And he is just absolutely, uh, taking it to the furthest possible limit. And you get the sense, like, at least I did in my, in my first watching of it that, um, you know, all the vampire stuff is almost superfluous. Like it, it, could not even be happening and it's still just a story of a guy going from bad to worse in the way that he's treating the people that are under him and it just so happens he's also maybe turning into a vampire or just losing his mind one or the other but uh that that's just all adding to it and and turning him into an even bigger piece of shit and and watching that transformation because Nicolas Cage is such an amazing actor is you know just absolutely a joy to watch even if it's also incredibly cringeworthy and just like awful well because well, you could like look at this film is obviously we're seeing it almost through the prism of peter lowe's perspective and mm-hmm. there is like obviously like an allegory of this like you kind of take it away from that and like what well, how other people are seeing him he's like an energy vampire right because he's like just <laughs> draining alva's energy like when he kind of assaults that woman in the club like does that happen does it not he kind of like really bums out the mood as well when he's like screaming at Jess, uh, jennifer bill's character across the like dance floor and stuff like that and he is just kind of like sucking the energy out of every room he's in like you can imagine the like, like thank god his therapist has got like a hunky boyfriend that she can go home to <laughs> and, like, kind of, like, screw the night away because otherwise she'd be at home going fucking hell i gotta see peter on tuesday afternoon do you know what i mean the guy yeah the, the guy's such a such, such a I don't know, drain on the energy there is yeah. there is that amazing moment though when uh i think it's like the second time they have a meeting together where he leaves and it's just camera leaves on her face and she just kind of goes <sighs> and just has this like look and she just starts like biting on the tip of her pen or something and it's just like oh that's beautiful like is it, I'm am I wrong? Is that lady from the lady from Russian Doll? Like the she's like the older sort of uh, like um, for Natasha Leone's character, um, sort of like the mother figure. Although she's not her mother, I don't know if you guys seen Russian Doll. But. I, have. I haven't seen it. Yeah, been a bit. Yeah, I, sounds like the same voice because she's kind of talks like this. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I've been smoking since I came out the womb. <laughs> I think she's kind of the way into this movie as well, right? Because if you kind of like focus on her performance, it's like, oh, this is a comedy. Do you know what I mean? She's always she's like the audience yeah. surrogate, like you said in that moment where like we get her kind of like seeing how like absurd and pathetic Peter Lowe is, and it's like, uh, yeah, I, I I love I love those scenes with her, like especially the cli- kind of climactic one where it's like peter staring at a wall 
and like it's all, <laughs> yeah. his, his fantasy version of it and he's like yeah and like yeah he's it's him <laughs> like in her office is him stood on the windowsill kind of yeah with his stake and then he's yeah. like oh the woman who comes in after you would be perfect for you peter he's like oh sandra Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just like, oh, by the way, I, I raped over and I killed someone. It's like, go fall in love, Peter. Go. <laughs> I felt like I should tell you. Actually, <laughs> yeah, I also uh, I, I murdered a woman last night in a club. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Don't worry about it, Peter. Yeah. People get murdered all the time. Like, people die all the time. It's Peter. Like, hey. <laughs> the session's over, Peter. Go fornicate. Get out of here. <laughs> Well, I, I, I want her movie. I want her kind of uh, spin-off. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. Come on, stop giving us all these Disney Plus Marvel series. We want the we want the week-by-week week, uh, therapy cases from uh, Peter Lowe's therapist from this movie. Uh, you know what? That feels like that's never been done before. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but, I mean, it's probably a bit fucked up, but at the same time, like, what television show these days isn't fucked up. But, like, a show that's just about a therapist who has fucked up clients in every episode. It's completely <laughs> Dr. different. Dr. Katz. That's the only is thing that, I can think of. Yeah, yeah. Is that a cartoon, yeah? That's a cartoon, like, yeah. yeah. In yeah, Treatment. That, was that, yeah. anyone see that? In Treatment sort of did. I never watched that. It was like a Monday to Friday thing, and each episode was a different client, and then the yeah. Friday it was the therapist seeing their therapist. But if, but if, <laughs> yeah. if we just do that, but with troubled Nicolas Cage characters. Yeah. I mean, there was a what, Sopranos, what about people becoming different kinds of monsters? That, that could be fun, too. Yeah, mm. yeah. <laughs> the, the, yeah, just a, a universal, like, monster series, but it's like yeah. each episode but is a different therapy. one going to their therapist. Like, there you go. <laughs> there we or it could go. just be like... It could just be the universal monster therapist. She has all of them as a client. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> or they have a, or they have a kind of AA style group. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah. All I want to do is suck the blood. Do you know what I mean? Like Frankenstein's monsters. They're like, uh, yeah. do I exist? I don't know. I don't know why they they all speak in a Transylvanian accent. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a big place. It's yeah. a big place. The, the mummies there, like my dry cleaning bills on all these rags. Oh. Hey guys, uh, I'm the Wolfman, and uh, <laughs> it's been three days since I last brutally murdered someone. Uh, good job. <laughs> Thanks, Wolfman. Thanks. Making your truth. So we've kind of we've kind of skirted a, skirted around it, but yeah, like what has come to stand out? I don't know moments of Nicolas Cage in like his performance like what 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 are the things you particularly like Daryl in, in Cage's performance maybe some smaller moments or I think if we're talking about smaller moments I think one it's easy to overlook on like a first viewing but the way he uses his voice and like this voice you know it's this kind of weird Transylvanian academic Atlantic European undefinable accent there's it's kind of like Tommy Wiseau's accent. You can't really place it. <laughs> yeah. You don't really know where he's from. But throughout the film, there's just like little things that he says. And um, I think when, when there's like the girl that he's seeing leaves him a voicemail and he's just sat at home and he's like, well, fuck you too, sister. <laughs> and then <laughs> just like the little moments where he's in the office and he like he's almost playing it like hungover in a way. And it's just these whimpering like, oh, oh. 
Um, and like, cause I was thinking about this as well because obviously it was a choice to use this voice and it kind of, um, as I touched on it, it almost, I'm kind of a risk to say this, gives him a pass in a way for the kind of atrocious things that he's doing because he's just absurd. But if Nicolas Cage was like playing this with a normal voice or any actor was playing with a normal voice going, Alva, 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 it wouldn't be nearly as as interesting and unnerving as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, you know, one day, unfortunately, Nicolas Cage will pass and I think there will be books dedicated to his acting and chapters um, dedicated and articles just trying to go frame by frame, breaking down Vampire's Kiss and... Um, you know, because he'd done the voice before, or similar, like Peggy Sue got married, and he's done um, similar things with his voice later on, with like Deadfall and things like that, using it to like ab- absurdist heights. But I think it, it's most notably here, oh. and this is kind of a voice that I've used unironically without realizing. We've all recited the alphabet scene. Come <laughs> on, we've all we've all done it, um, oh, yeah. and I. And I still do. It's part of my my podcast theme tune, courtesy of Petros Bazilovus. Um, so it will it will see me to the grave that voice and alphabet. Well, and um, I'm a better man for it. He he wills that accent out in Color Out of Space as well. And like, what's quite unnerving mm. is is he says that that that's kind of how his dad spoke. Like he had this kind of academic transatlantic accent because he was trying to sound yeah. a bit more like I don't know, like holier than thou than he was it's just kind of like really really fascinating that that like what what does that say about his dad do you know what i mean that, that's, mm. <laughs> that he's like oh yeah that's the despicable character i'm playing oh yeah i'm using dad's voice yeah sure. yeah i mean yeah. it's it's interesting though because it's like it's such a choice to use that accent and what accent is it anyway it's a bizarre one and um the thing is, like, being an American here in the UK, I feel like I do hear people that are American sometimes or from Canada who have been here a long time, and you hear them drop weird little lines here and there that feel like it sounds like this, and it is, that I guess, that transatlantic thing, and it doesn't make sense. But, guys, there's a moment in the film towards, I think, towards the end when he's talking to his fake... uh new potential girlfriend um and he says he's from philadelphia but he's lived in new york for like 10 years yeah and i that you know being someone who's from america i lived in philadelphia for a while and i was just like this guy's not from philly but i did a little (laughs) bit of research and there is a philadelphia in tyne and ware here in england there we go (laughs) maybe that explains the accent. There we go. I'm surprised. I'm surprised the American ones called, not called New Philadelphia, as they seem to like uh, <laughs> seem to do with a lot of places. Yeah, it's about new on, no, it's about new on the beginning. It's uh, it's New York, baby. It's not York. Um, what what kind of yeah? What moments stick out for you, Jonathan, in this like uh, in, with Cage's performance? Uh, God, it's really the um, the overall like evolution or de-evolution into the vampire state like Mm -hmm. i already said kind of at the top about how it feels like he goes from you know being at the top of the totem pole which he even sort of gladly uses those lines on alva about her being at the bottom of the totem pole 
to basically being like a homeless man in the street talking to himself like with a fucking huge plank of wood mm-hmm. aka steak um and i mean that's that's like on the surface there but it's like literally like throughout the film and that's the sort of stuff i'm i was talking about when i was thinking there's a lot more here under the level of like what nicholas cage is kind of actually giving you if you just look at his face how he just like i don't know what he does he evolves throughout the film where he goes from being like you know like i said someone who looks like he could be hanging out with patrick bateman to like a like orc like Mm -hmm. his face like (laughs) how does he make himself look so ugly like towards the end of the film like his nose looks like 50 times bigger his eyes look like you know way more sunken into a skull his hair is hair longer and disheveled (laughs) and like it doesn't make sense like he just looks like almost like like a thin penguin from uh you know tim burton's batman you know it's like it's like strange and his eyes just the way they move around and stuff i mean i know he's really riffing off the german expressionism of you know like we've already said like counter lock or whatever from Nosferatu and stuff but like it's insane just watching his face like that's the most impressive thing I think about this performance there's that moment when he comes out of his office when Alva like knocks on the door with the with, with the contract and like he's kind of got almost like a devil lock like do you know what I mean it's like, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like, like a misfit kind of, misfits, yeah. yeah like yeah. hanging down his face and like the shoulders are up super high and he's like <laughs> he starts and it's it's the physicality isn't it because he starts going yeah. too late too late like kind of like tick-tocking <laughs> his head back and forth and it's like it's such a physical performance and like i think yes. a moment that really stands out for me is really small is when he jumps onto that desk and he's like yes. there you are and it's like that's that's some physical prowess there and it kind of yeah. like that mm. is a, a moment unto itself where you go like he's not half ass in this like he's fucking going he's going all in for it and i think on set they said he just did that and kind of took people by surprise when he did it like Robert Beerman was like yeah do that like let's, let's do that from, from all sounds as well it kind of sounds like um yeah well Robert Beerman uh had had this to say about the film so nobody really understands what this movie is about <laughs> which is probably good well I I mean I I'm a big believer in, in the ambiguous and letting it be about whatever people want it to be about. But, but I always saw the movie as a story of a man whose uh, loneliness and uh, inability to find love literally drives him insane. I, yeah, and he said like nobody, he, he said in another clip somewhere, that nobody knew what they were really doing. Like this was like a totally non-union picture and i think like in that in that scene where he comes out of the club with jackie and he's trying to hail a cab there's actually like when they're trying to film that there's people with bullhorns there like union people like giving them shit basically being like fuck you fuck you for like for 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 doing this outside of the union like kind of like and (laughs) a lot of the later scenes of him like in the street like accosting people it's just Cage just like wandering the streets and then the camera just at a distance. And like, I think it speaks to that time in New York because like that is what people saw on the streets. Like it's kind of, and I think, yeah, we were talking off air about 
Uh, there's a great ringer piece by um, Zach uh, Sonfeld, who he kind of talks about. He says he meets up with Joseph Minion in New York, and it's like the New York of today isn't the New York of this movie, and it's kind of yeah. like a, a, a it was a it was a more darker. I don't know, people, yeah, uh, mimes slapping each other in the face kind of place than the kind of sanitized uh, brunch. Do you know what I mean? Like, get, yeah, yeah. getting coffees to go kind of place it is today. I mean, it you, you know, you really start with and end with the New York skyline, which is always like a choice of New York films. I feel like, especially of this time in the 90s, it felt very like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles coming in on the city. Or uh, what's, what's the other... Um, uh so i married an axe murderer i think has a similar sort of thing but like you know it just feels like a uh interesting sort of like new york is a character in this movie just as much as like you know anybody else is in this mm -hmm. film and like you really can't get films like that these days with like i mean you could but like new york is like so different now this like sort of the 90s was like the last time i mean i guess it's even like the mid to the mid 90s was like where film really started to change with technology and stuff as well and cgi became more of a thing and just films started to just look different but like this film still looks like that like gritty you know mm -hmm. uh, new york of the 70s like even though it's not in the 70s at all but like it has that quality and it's just really interesting and like to a point where even like the end of the fucking movie is like fucking taxi driver. Like, mm -hmm, you know, yeah. he, he like is stabbed and then the camera just floats up in the air. And it's like, that's one of the most famous <laughs> New York films ever. So like, you know, it's just like totally riffing off of that. Mm. It's, it's really fascinating. Cause it's, it does have that. Yeah. Like you say, there's that bleakness of the seventies, but the excess of the eighties, it feels very much like a, a film out of its time it, it feels too late and too early at the same time yeah like the yeah, way yeah. that american psycho looks back at the 80s access and goes like wasn't that fucking mental or like uh yeah it, and it's kind of like a bit too late in like are oh, we gonna make this super bleak and it's like oh no we've moved past that it's all kind of like duran duran and good times now like we've left do you know what I mean? we've we've left moody men in the 70s like <laughs> yeah and, and like to even like use a movie to uh to criticize those kind of men mm. is more of a thing of now i feel so, like yeah. yeah so it also gives you a whole nother time frame that this movie could have been from one one yeah, i think that's what is yeah i feel like that's what's like really kind of uh i think newer younger audiences who probably were drawn in from the meme culture of it, like who just decide to actually watch it, probably find it pretty profound in today's time because it's like, you know, at the time when it came out, it was totally slept on and people weren't ready for those conversations because like, yeah. you know, the dickhead bosses hadn't been told, Hey, you know, that behavior you do isn't cool. Like they haven't been told that yet. So it's like people weren't on board to like stick it to the man yet. Oh yeah. 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 They're, they're all watching Wall Street like it's an aspirational movie. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, baby! Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, they're, 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 like we, we're getting now, we're getting like the Wolf of Wall Street, which like if, if you kind of like peel back the layers of the kind of excess of that movie, it's kind of going, all these people are fucking horrible. Do you know what I mean? It kind of sits in the, in the pantheon with that, but just, yeah, it's just crazy that it kind of came out in the, the maelstrom of all of that and a film that's like 
Kind of not really about that as well. Joseph Minion kind of said it's basically about like the breakup of his relationship and kind of being in like yeah. a kind of almost like vampiric relationship with his with his then partner as a producer on this film who they kind of like were just sucking the life out of each other. And, like, yeah, um, which I, I found was interesting because I read that same Ringer article and there was a bit where it was saying that at one point the producers had uh, toyed with the idea of making the vampire and alva the same person like mm -hmm. the same actor and i think that would have been fucking brilliant like yes. it, that was actually something that's kind of missing from this because like it would have i mean it like at the same time you're kind of like i don't really know what's real here anyway so it wouldn't have really right. taken away from anything in my opinion like it would have only added more substance to like the two just taking energy away from each other you know 100% so is there any other like aspects of the films anyone want, wants to kind of shine a light on I've got a few things here on the on, on the list that I wanted to delve into but yeah I'll just leave it out David what, what kind of yeah obviously I, I saw, sort of sort of looking about well. when this film came out as well like June 1989 obviously there's a few years delay on it but I was just looking on box office mojo for the films that were released in June 89 and you've got um Dead Poet Society, Star Trek V, Ghostbusters 2, Batman, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, The Karate Kid 1. This film didn't stand a chance. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this, I mean, what, what a choice to release this in June. Um, I, it's, it just, I just find it fascinating. Like, obviously, it was put on the shelf for whatever reason it was put on the shelf, but if you're releasing it at the same time as you know the first Michael Keaton Batman, then... What, what are you thinking? Yeah. What is going on? I, I think it's they also kind of just like not knowing the. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I was going to say, I, um, it also kind of like feels like not knowing the history. If you like, you know, if you don't know the history of like the release and the, um, the issues with like funding mm -hmm. and trying to get it, you know, distribute it like that. Uh, it feels like it's almost an answer for Nick Cage to kind of be like, oh, yeah, I should have been cast as Batman, so I'm going to do my own fucking weird like, <laughs> yeah. Batman, you know? Like, so I feel like when I did a Batman episode, he, he was a name that kind of came up. Like, I know he's famously attached to the Superman uh, from Tim Burton, but like, I feel like he was a name that was pitched around and toyed around for Batman. Which would have been... Would have been fascinating. I think. I think he's, he's well. He obviously got to kind of live that dream by channeling it in Kickass, right? The kind yeah, of Adam West yeah, sure. style totally. Batman. Um, but uh, yeah, I and I think they put it down to the fact that Batman was released at the same time for this movie's failure, which I think is so bizarre. Like, I mean, this mm -hmm. is counter programming of the the highest <laughs> order. Like if if if, if mm. they seriously thought that I don't know people were are that dumb to go oh there's a there's a vampire film and there's a Batman film like they're gonna go well it's only one 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 bat related movie I'm gonna see this weekend like it kind of feels like <laughs> yeah. they they weren't in competition with each other whatsoever yeah absolutely not I mean it's just like this isn't a film you want to release in the middle of summer though as well so <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. they were putting a lot of hope on this movie doing really really well and the fact it was released sort of post moonstruck for cage as well and i think he'd had a golden globe nomination for moonstruck 
uh, like didn't didn't like the powers that be tell him like not to do this movie, and then he dropped out, and then he's like, no, actually, I want back in. I, I need vampires kiss in my repertoire. Yeah, I think he dropped out because uh, Joseph Minion uh, dropped out from being the director, and like I think he was the one who like talked him into doing the film because um, he wrote the film and he was going to direct it, and then was just like, no, I can't do this. I ha- I mean, it's literally about my breakup. I can't be in the same uh, room with the who who was the producer his ex um so he decided to drop out and then cage was like whoa like who's this beerman guy and he leaves but then was secretly you know calling up probably and just like oh, i really want to do this movie <laughs> i can't stop thinking about it I alva alva so, David, is there anything that you'd like to kind of yeah, shine a light on in this film that we haven't mentioned as of yet? I mean, I, I feel like you guys have really touched on a lot of it, and there's been a, a lot of the, the same points that I maybe would have had. So, I mean, the only other thing I would say is, like, haven't you guys, like, gone a little crazy when you can't find, like, a piece of paper that you, like, knew should have been filed somewhere <laughs> and it's just not there? Like, I, I mean, feel like that's, that's a universal feeling, really, yeah. you know? Yeah, I I love the scene where he's like explaining the whole thing about filing because like it's like he's not wrong at all, but at the same time it's coming from such an entitled place where it's like, dude, like you know exactly like what that means to be misfiled. It's in the fucking title of the word. It's like, why are you acting like you've never heard of this before? What do you mean? You just put it in. (laughs) It never just goes away. (laughs) Although the the Peter highs and the Peter lows of filing. Yeah. I, I do question though, like had Alvin not misheard what he said, because he clearly did say at the very beginning of the film, Alva, I've checked this folder i checked under this folder like what was it waterman and i checked under something else and then he's just like but i need you to look at the dare spiegel folders yeah and she goes to check the waterman folder and the other folder that he had mentioned but she didn't check the dare spiegel and that was i mean i get that it's like so relatable the workplace Uh bullshit in this film like you know because like everybody's been there before like someone's like misheard your boss saying something and you go and do something and it's like totally wrong and it's not what your boss asked for. Mm-hmm. Or Jonathan is, Jonathan is team Peter Lowe did nothing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just want to, no, my question was, I wonder if that's what set him off. Like had right. she found the document or had she actually checked the dare Spiegel, you know, folders, um, she probably still wouldn't have been able to find it. But like, what was it? What was it that like tipped him over the edge? What? Because like, you know, you don't want to like completely fall into the whole like vampire thing because that's a bit silly. But maybe it's like he's uh too sexually active and stuff and is like, you know, picked up some sort of like, I don't know, disease or something because there's something going wrong going on with this man and he hit a tipping point and it's like hard to see why he's taking it out on Alva. Like, well, I can't buy into the whole like love thing because like that's silly. Yeah, it, it, it could just be this whole film is him on a mescaline trip. Like he does say that he, took <laughs> he does bring that up. <laughs> <it>? Yeah, <laughs> like which which would make a lot of sense. Like for the, yeah. for this whole film, like there's a I don't I guess a kind of overarching question on this film, and I'd I like your opinions on it is 
does does all of it happen does some of it happen and if so what happens what doesn't happen daryl for you like what are kind of what are the definite articles that does happen yeah there's there's definitely a vibe of like Peter Lowe is an unreliable narrator in this. So it's, it's, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> just, just a little bit, just a little bit. I mean, you question, is the therapist real? You question, is uh, the vampire mistress real? Because there's that whole scene in the nightclub where he confronts her, but then she suddenly then doesn't know who he is and she's with someone else, but then she's also kind of smiling. And then there's that kind of scene at the credit. She's like, um, like a dream of me, my angel. Um <laughs> So I I feel like maybe two of the therapist scenes actually happened. But I I feel like most of this, like, I feel like he actually chased a pigeon. I feel like that was real. Um, I feel like he maybe actually brought some vampire teeth. There's the taxi driver as well. Is the taxi driver real? Because he sees a hallucination of him and his uh, wife. Oh, yeah. In his office at that. one point as well. Yeah. Um, so it all happened and none of it happened is my answer. <laughs> I have Good no answer. idea. I have no idea. Well, and that's why it will stand the test of time. What about mm-hmm. you, David? Is there, is there some things that like you're like, that is concrete, that actually happened? Yeah, that, that exactly like Daryl's just saying. It, it There's enough like little tricks in there to kind of make it where you really can't trust anything. And it, it, I was left at the end thinking maybe the therapist scenes are all fake. And then I was thinking... You know, there's so many other things that could be, especially if those really are, but then maybe they are real and it's just the last one that maybe once he's already like, you know, gone to his bottom, he just like, he just has no, you know, no grip anymore. But uh, yeah, you, you just can't know. And I, I, Cage was saying in that one interview that you played that, you know, he loves these kind of like open ended kind of question movies. And uh, I, I love that too. And that's part of what I loved about the movie. What, what about you, Jonathan? So like is is what 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 one hundred percent is is concrete in this? That he is a piece of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I I do want to bring up the Alva stuff with uh, her and her home life. Mm-hmm. Like I question if the, any of that's actually real because it's very bizarre. Like she clearly looks like she's like maybe in her thirties, you know, pushing thirty if not already. Like. Yet she's like a fucking child at home with her brother, who is also like an adult man living at home with his parents, which I mean, they're in New York City. So maybe and, you know, culturally as well, culturally uh, as well. Yeah. Like maybe they live with their family and stuff. But it's the fact that she's like wearing these like little white nighties and everything (laughs) that she wears to like to work, like looks like a little girl's little girl's dress and stuff. And uh, I know it's also the 80s. So it's like you know, you have to take that into account, but it's just bizarre. Like the whole thing, the way, you know, she goes, uh, into her brother's room and, and he's like consoling her and he's like, what's wrong, baby? What's wrong? baby?" It's just like, it's really weird. Like, and like not enough people talk about like that side of the film. I feel like, cause mm-hmm. you really have, you know, Hey, like cage going insane in this film, but like, Man, it's like weird characters that are surrounding him all around that really drive the story. Yeah, I think for me, the only character who like feels normal whatsoever is Jackie, who played by Cassie yeah. Lemons, who like yeah. is kind of like the, 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 
the scorned like date he has he's like he just keeps <laughs> fucking around basically <laughs> like him and maybe like her and maybe like the little boy who lives downstairs who like if you get a glimpse of like you kind of like really wants to see in on the action doesn't he kind of sees peter yeah. lowe dragging a woman up so it's like whoa like, yeah. let's have a, and then let's she have comes a, out <laughs> naked screaming like, <laughs> but also laughing <laughs> yeah um yeah, it's that 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 Alva stuff is is fascinating. Like, there's that moment, like when she goes to see her brother at his at the gas station as well, and he's like, he's like, going, you don't put actual bullets in the gun. You'll blow someone's like, you'll blow someone's head off with that, like kind of thing. You just you just use blanks. <laughs> and I'm not I'm not sure about like the science on this, but when Peter Lowe fires the blanks in his mouth, that would still hurt, right? I feel like it would like at least your burn maybe. Yeah, you're blowing like, a cartridge out at least anyway, right? Like it Yeah. Like I feel like that close range you you would definitely do some damage. It's not like it's a cap gun, you know, like yeah. Yeah. So I don't really understand. Yeah, it's, it's it's presented as a cap gun. Yeah. But I think we're supposed to believe she's firing blanks because her brother's against her having actual bullets. But it just gives us classic Nicholas Cage screaming the word "boo hoo" instead of crying. <laughs> so it's not all bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so like floored by what was going on throughout most of the film that like it felt kind of par for the course for him saying "boo hoo," and it was only until after I was like done watching him, I was like, "Did he say boo hoo?" Like he just I was watching with subtitles what? on, and it said "boo hoo," and I just started cracking up. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, same for me, but like subtitles are really unreliable at times sure. as well. So I was just like, "Eh," you know. But yeah, yeah. Is, is, that, is that like the, the final top of him in the confirmation that he's a vampire? Because I think he's gone into like he can't see himself in the mirror. He's like, oh my god, and then he shoots himself, and he doesn't die. And then I think he's screaming, "I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire!" Like that's the, uh, just fascinating. The, the final like forty-five minutes of this are like a proper just free fall into madness as well, right? It's kind of like, yeah, from when he like assaults Alva, like, and he has that boohoo moment. From then, it's kind of like no holes bars absolute bat shittery and i love like but there's like i love i love the kind of peppered moments of comedy in it like when he's going to buy the fangs and the guy's like oh yeah we've got these fiberglass ones they're really good they'll cost you like 45 dollars and he's like uh well, we've got these cheap ones he's like three dollars fifty he's like i'll take the cheap ones please <laughs> <laughs> it's like he's not leaving there without the teeth you know he has to have the teeth yeah, didn't he have like no money from from the cab to go and see Alva as well, or something like that? Well, they, like, you you cleared me out, Alva. You cleared. <laughs> and I, I will say as well. dollars to get you home. <laughs> <laughs> Side note: No one retches on screen like Nicolas Cage. Oh yeah. <laughs> no one's doing it like him. I've seen just that whole like, oh, you put it in the right file. It's just I'm like, are, are you okay, Peter? Shut up, bitch. <laughs> and then at the end, he's having the argument with his imaginary girlfriend, and then like the hair's flopping and <laughs> and scuttering under that like coffin sofa. He's got a great scutter oh. as well, the best scutter. The the coffin sofa is amazing. Like it's oh, so awesome. it's so like you know you're. I don't know, like 
four years old and building like a pillow fort, you know, yeah. or something, you know, it's amazing. <laughs> Just flip your couch over a couple pillows that you've done. It's so good. Cause I mean, the like, ending's tremendous as well, to mm-hmm. be honest, like opening the coffin, <laughs> the, the sofa coffin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Oh, there are so there are so many kind of small little moments I love in this. Whether it's like the, yeah, the two mimes slapping each other in the face. There's a moment when he's on the phone, and it's all right. The, the thing is, for like, like Robert Beerman kind of saying that they, it kind of all feels like it was like by the, I don't know, flying by the seat of their pants, like kind of getting all of this together. It's really like uh, accomplished and put together really well. Like the use of like the kind of the angles of the shots and stuff like that. And as you've like mentioned before, there's shots that ape like old classic kind of Nosferatu or yeah, that, that era of like Hollywood cinema. But yeah, there's just like these bizarre little touches. Like when he's on the phone, I think he calls his uh, therapist and then calls uh, Jackie to say like, do you want to meet up tonight? There's a guy who just walks out in a Robin Hood hat. Like a uh, little, yes. like, or like, yeah. there's just some like I, I noticed that. some bald guy just sat there like for the whole time. Or I particularly love yeah. like small performances from people who just like pop up in this. There's a, there's the woman in the bathroom when Peter like chases Alva, and she's like, I think she's like, yeah, she's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, and then like you see her like comforting Alva afterwards. It's like so much of this, like. I, I think I'm with you guys where I'm just, I just question everything, even down to the fact, like, do literary agents get paid this much money? Like, do you know what I mean? He's kind of like <laughs> a man about town out every night, seems to have, like, I don't know. I don't, he hasn't got the nicest apartment, like, but, like, do you know what I mean? He's, 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 he's at least not sharing in New York City. Like, he kind of, like, looks like yeah. he lives in a nice mm-hmm. building. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's, uh, I don't know, he's either, like, does have, or maybe he doesn't, maybe he's not as, like, flesh as, like, you would think he is. Maybe he lives beyond his means, and that's, like, another part of his problem. Because if you are, like, you know, unable to buy the fiberglass, you know, teeth, which I definitely would have loved to have seen because it would have really looked goofy. Um <laughs> Uh, but also just like complaining about, you know, 50 quid, uh, of a like taxi fare and stuff, you know, he's, I don't know. It's, it's sort of like an interesting question. Cause he could be either like a total, like, you know, just adding into his toxicity of his, like, you know, being this stupid boss, who's like just a cheapskate or he's like, not really as rich as he like makes himself seem which is sort of like a time like a sign of those times of people who were like living beyond their means and flashing all this wealth that they actually didn't really have because it's like just all status symbols Mm -hmm. yeah i think that would fit really well with that you know those kinds of toxic people do tend to kind of puff their chest up a lot and you know act like they're you know bigger shots than they actually are yeah yeah, I know we sort of touched on it earlier, and I think um, <clears throat> whether you sort of want to admit it or not, Peter Lowe is the precursor to Patrick Bateman. Like he, he, he just, he just is, and it's kind of, you know, we we talk about unreliable narrators, and he's, you know, is he wealthy? Is he not? But 
And obviously, it depends on how much you believe that this film is actually happening or not. But from the first scenes, like he he is successful with women, bafflingly enough. It makes no sense. <laughs> he's yeah. a top shagger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, a, he's an absolute, he's absolute like, diner. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's out every night picking up different chicks, listening to ESG in the club. Yeah. Like, yeah. See, it's, it's incredible considering, and this is me gesturing to all of Peter Lowe, Peter Lowe, um, because it like he comes in like that sort of like floppy sort of thin hair, sort of like those weird suits, that voice. But he's he's charming still, and he's still successful, and he's he's bringing sort of ladies home. And you know, obviously that first scene is kind of you kind of pick your head around like who is Peter Lowe, who is this guy, um, you know. And then he's obviously got the whole first scene with him jousting with the bat, which I think is another great scene as well. The bat cam especially is amazing. <laughs> And I think I'd read something, someone that apparently wanted a real bat, but the director had to talk him out of it because yeah. there was a risk of him actually dying and that would ruin the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 get rabies or like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's kind of like... And, and what, was, was this something as well that he, at this point, he'd insisted for lovemaking scenes that he had hot yogurt dripped on his toes Yeah, as well. yeah I read something about that as well. It's like, what? Like, yeah. so those scenes where he's being... Uh, I don't know, attended to, sucked on by the maybe real, maybe fake vampire <laughs> was, uh, yeah, they wouldn't show his feet. So if you watch that, those scenes again, they're not showing his feet because apparently they're being, uh, I don't know, covered in hot yogurt. And bizarre. I think this film is like, it's not without its kind of, not controversies, but kind of like, I think Cage's behavior, I think Je uh, Jennifer Bills has kind of gone on record saying like he was, for her, was quite unbearable. Because I think this was at a time when he probably was kind of like flirting with the method and stuff like that and kind of like being very much in character a lot of the time and obviously towards his, her character and like a lot of the characters in this yeah. quite insufferable. So I could imagine. I, I did read something about that where he had like, he wasn't a fan of her and I was just sort of wondering why. And then it was also like how he maybe wanted, I think his girlfriend at the time, uh, Patricia Arquette to be the vampire, mm. but she, uh, was so like too little of a name and Jennifer Bills had just done flash dance. So it was sort of like, we need a name to help sell this film, like to go along with you. And that was like, I guess like a stickling point. And I, I don't know if there was someone else like where they were supposed to do it and they had to drop out at the last minute, but he preferred that person over Jennifer Bills. And it was this weird sort of toxic yep. relationship between the two. Well, there's some weird casting what ifs with this film. So Judd Nelson was approached to do the part of Peter Lowe as, and I think signed on till like quite late in the process was um, Dennis Quaid who oh, yeah, decided, yeah. decided to take uh, Inner Space as opposed to this film. Like, uh, yeah. And I guess, yeah, we wouldn't have Jack Quaid if it wasn't for Inner Space, so I guess Dennis Quaid is happy with the choice he made. <laughs> um, sure. So, yeah, I guess, I guess that's, that's about it for Vampire's Kiss. But before I, before I let you guys out into the night to, to do whatever you want to do, whether it is to go boogie to some esg whether you want to i don't know cost people <laughs> asking for them to end your life and drive a stake into your heart uh, yeah. yeah i guess yeah we've looked at the kind of the early point of nicholas cage as a kind of uh 
a horror character or at least flirting with the idea of horror. Um, what would you guys like to see in the future for Nicolas Cage in the kind of horror space? Is there a particular like subgenre you'd like to see him uh, play about in a particular director? Obviously, we're getting something at least horror adjacent next year with Renfield, where once again he gets to don the fangs and be be a bloodsucker playing Dracula. And I I, I believe you might be able to corroborate this, Daryl. He's kind of brought back the Peter Lowe voice for his Dracula, right? Yeah, it seems like he's bringing it back to an extent um, because he's he's definitely mentioned it in an interview, sort of his father inspiring it. So, you know, Peter Lowe never truly dies. Um, <laughs> he will live he will live in our unstaked hearts forevermore, and I hope he does. Until the inevitable day, they, they those cowards bring this movie out on Blu-ray in the UK as well. <laughs> so yeah, Daryl, uh, what? Yeah, is there a particular director or uh, place in horror you'd like to see Cage moving into the in the future? Oh well, I mean, um, you know, obviously, we, we obviously said we've got Dracula coming. Very excited for that. Um, I was sort of thinking about this because he did that interview and he was talking about a number of directors he'd like to work with, but. Um, I think for me, one he didn't mention, but I think together they could make something incredible would be working with Sam Raimi. I think they could do some wonderful things together. Now, what that would be, I don't know. Um, just for shits and giggles, remake The Evil Dead, but cast Nicolas Cage as, uh, as Ash Williams, just for a laugh and see what happens. <laughs> I know um, but I would I'd just say, I just want to put you two in a room, just talk it out, whatever you come up with. I'll start that Kickstarter. I'll start that GoFundMe, and I'm here for it. Oh, if they said Ash Williams had like a, a long lost brother, and it was Nicholas Cage, <laughs> yes, please. Like, like, yes. like a, a, any day of the week, a, yeah. a, a, a buddy road horror comedy with those two would be yeah. absolutely. Give tomorrow. me Cage and Bruce Campbell and Sam <sighs> Raimi, and just just let it happen, yeah. please. Sounds please. wonderful. Have those have those two ever been in the same room? Because if they do, I think it would be like the kind of. It would be the the final day's moment that would bring upon the end of the world. <laughs> Bruce Campbell, Nicholas Cage, uh, Jonathan. Is there a particular director or kind of subgenre you'd like to see Cage tackle? I feel like I've said this before on your podcast, and I feel like you know why not just say it again? Um, I'd love for him to do something with the Softy Brothers mm. and get into like just sort of like a gritty thriller sort of thing. Um, something to keep you like, you know heart race and you know give him a little bit of love like you know adam sandler got i mean but i i think when i first said that i think that was pre like you know cage having a bit of a moment recently with uh unbearable weight of massive talent so um i don't know keep that train going that'd be interesting like just do something it doesn't necessarily need to be horror but like you know sort of like thriller-esque you know that you can really touch on his acting abilities. And the Safdie brothers basically make horror movies anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uncut yeah, Gems yeah, is yeah. like a real world horror movie. Like, yeah, you know yeah. I mean? it's like, it's a lot more realistic, you know, and like dealing with the actual choices that people make rather than like, you know, something that you had a dream about or something. So it's social anxiety movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, you could you could almost see the Safdie brothers version of this film that kind of strips away all of the vampire stuff. Just this guy kind of 
living this excess lifestyle. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's a New York movie. Yeah, we that's got to happen, right? I think I think he's he's edging ever closer. He's kind of I think he's slated he's filming right now. I believe uh, his first movie for A twenty four. So like he kind of feels oh, yeah. like he's creeping towards their direction. Um, yeah. What about you, Dave? Is there any any yeah, any particular like uh, place in horror you'd like to see him uh, work in I, or director you'd like to see him work with? I was going to say Robert Eggers, but since we've already covered the A24 base, um, let's go James Wan and put him in Malignant 2. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Get Cage to throw a chair. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I, I would have just totally like lost my shit if you know they opened up the back of her head and it was actually nick cage's face like, <laughs> release the cage cut doing that retching yeah, yeah. Yes. doing that face when he's telling alva she's nothing as well you like the yeah. big eyes like <laughs> that would be perfect that'd be, that'd be. He, he parkours through a skyline going it never just goes away <laughs> too late too late too late, too late. Too late. <laughs> amazing so uh, yeah what what's um what, is this a recommend from everyone uh, is it safe to say it's a recommend right oh yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah stop but, looking at the memes and just sit down and actually watch it yes so Seeing as, yeah, you, Jonathan, and you, David, like, this kind of, like, first-time watch for you, David, and kind of, like, pretty much first-time watch for you, yeah. will this become a, a Halloween staple for you in the future? I mean, I can't wait to watch it again. I, like I said, especially with the whole what's real and what's not real aspects of this, like, I can't wait to, like, see where things solidify for me in multiple viewings. I'm very much looking forward to watching it again, maybe before next Halloween. Nice. What about you, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it will necessarily become a Halloween staple, mm -hmm. but I will definitely like be willing and up for watching it again and trying to recommend it to people probably yeah. if they haven't seen it. So for I, sure, I, I saw recently there was an article like Criterion wrote about this, and like, I think they've uh, like put it in their kind of on on the Criterion channel in the US to put it as sort of a part of their like horror kind of programming, which seems yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of pretty great that it's kind of. I don't know, getting that mark of approval. Um, what about you, Daryl? Is this, is this a, a go-to every time October rolls around, or how often will you revisit this film going forward? You think I'm going to limit this to October, you coward? <laughs> 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 no, like I said, I, th I think I said this off record as well. The last times I've watched this, I think it's, it has been admittedly through sort of um, a, a skews comedic memeified viewing, and this was kind of... The first time I just watched it straight as just a movie and with everything we've discussed as well. I think it bears repeat viewings. There's a lot of layers to this, which there's just no way you can appreciate um, the different possible readings of this movie on like a first viewing. Um, so it's not the first time I've seen this movie. It will not be the last. And it's something I've said before, you know, when you talk about the Nick Cage filmography, there are Nicolas Cage movies and movies with Nicolas Cage in and this is the most Nick of this Cage movie of them all, like far exceeding like your Deadfalls and your Wicker Mans. And as you said, without this movie um, influencing him, you know, we really don't get the rest of his career. Like we don't get Face Off, for example. Mm -hmm. He cited this movie as being very important. So I think for the Cage completionist, you've got to watch it. For the horror enthusiast, it's worth watching. 
for the curious mind out there, I think, uh, you know, this is an hour and a half, an hour and 40 minutes. Um, you owe it to yourself to see this film. I think it's going to be one of those, you know, I don't know if it's going to get a massive resurgence. Hopefully, maybe we'll get the Blu-ray one day, but I think it's going to um, slowly but surely reappeal itself to cult viewings and sort of smaller screenings and like fun one-off screenings as well. So I just hope that more people see this because it's, and I don't want to overstate this. This is a very, very important film. This is our generation <laughs> Citizen Kane, goddamn. Yes. <laughs> Which brings me on to a point. I, I, I had a look, Jonathan, and the Prince Charles Cinema have not screened this film since 2016. I, uh, my only question is, what the fuck? It's actually uh, 2019. Ah, oh, shit. Um, shit, I got it wrong. <laughs> oh. No, uh, yeah, I mean, I think 2019 would have been it. Um, and I know I know in the past, I think prior to my time that we were doing actually funny enough double features with American Psycho, which is amazing. amazing. But, you know, it's one of those films that like I think it's like it slowly finds like an audience and it's one of those things I feel like it, ha it hasn't quite found its place to be like, you know, a yearly staple yes. in our Halloween program. And also, I think we, um, you know try to especially the last couple of years have tried to be a little bit more experimental with prince charles cinema mm -hmm. and like throwing in you know new things because i swear for like a good six years or so it was like almost like carbon copy every year mm -hmm. of the program and it's like this year and last year has been really interesting of like a mix of different uh horror films that you've never seen before um it feels like the flavor this year is like uh teen horror films from like the uh turn of the millennium which Amazing. is kind of like a nice thing to see but maybe you know next year will be the year that uh this film finds its way back into the program <laughs> well there's um <laughs> that talking of the, the the amazing program that i i i got to point out the fact that i absolutely love that you've listed shiver baby in your as as a, as a horror movie and a part of that oh that, yeah uh, <laughs> the, the, the horror programming for, yeah. for the rich charts it's amazing yeah definitely it's just like one of those just weird hey it's you know sort of horrific in a way going home <laughs> and having to yeah. deal with people in your you know hometown <laughs> amazing amazing well guys thank you so much for coming and yeah getting spooky with me and talking about vampire's kiss uh daryl where can people find you online if they wish to do so uh, well, I'm usually quite active on the old Twitter machine at cage underscore podcast. Um, I think I'm like Petros at this moment in time. I've watched all the Nicolas Cage movies. We're all caught up. Uh, cage Rage, a Nicolas Cage podcast, if you want to go back and listen to uh, my efforts. Um, and then eventually it is coming. Myself and Petros will be teaming up to cover the works of Willem Dafoe. Uh, getting Dafoe, you, uh, Willem Dafoe podcast. It is coming. We're just both... I'm just usually busy with the real life. It is coming, I promise you. <laughs> uh, what about yourself, David? Where could people find you on your amazing podcast? People can find Piecing It Together wherever they listen to podcasts. And, of course, uh, I'm on Twitter at PiecingPod, and our website is PiecingPod.com. And uh, you can find both Daryl and Petros on some episodes of that. And, uh, yeah, hopefully people check it out. Yeah, it's a lovely time. What about you, Jonathan? Obviously, yeah, you're still churning out the the pod charles cinecast which is uh an absolute joy to listen to where can people listen to that and uh, find you online 
Yeah, well, like you said, it's the Pod Charles Cinecast. That's everywhere. You get your podcast on any of those machines that let you listen to podcasts. Um, yeah, so it's the weekly podcast of the Prince Charles Cinema, but we've kind of lost our shit over the last uh, couple years and just became whatever the hell we feel like doing. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, it's like silly if you if you want silly uh arcs of just madness of us just figuring out like dumb ways we can take our brains to watch really silly movies and then occasionally uh decide to act out the movies that we're supposed to be talking about or not even covering the films we're supposed to be talking about and just talking about fashion or something then you can head over to at the pcc podcast on twitter or instagram um give us a follow find your uh links to listen to it um and me personally, I am at Tall for All, T A L L, the number four, A L L, on Twitter and Instagram. And I play some music. So I might try to release an album soon. Um, we also, Petros and I, like, are apparently breadcrumbs <laughs> collective. <laughs> so yeah, I also do that as well. Um, I kind of started that and invited Petros over to be a part of the Breadcrumbs Collective, which is just a goofy, like, family of podcasts. Um, I need to be more proactive with that um but you know life and things yeah. we, we we all need to hard. be more proactive with so much stuff like i yeah. ask people mm-hmm. to join a patreon every week that uh that i haven't put anything out on age in, in ages because it's like trying to trying yeah. to juggle this podcast <laughs> uh having a life having a child and then uh a second podcast it's like yeah. uh <laughs> <laughs> knowing how many you know I mean? knowing how many people sign up to the are on the patreon it's like Oh, uh, yeah, I feel bad that I'm uh, I, I'm not giving them stuff. And uh, why would more people want to come for like, I don't know, 10 episodes of a, of, of a show? But uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, now I'm going to go out into the night with self-doubt. Thank you for that, Jonathan. Uh, another thank you to you guys for coming and yeah, talking about Vampire's Kiss with me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Pleasure. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. So there we have it, guys. Vampire's Kiss. Getting you in that extra spooky mood. Thank you so much for listening. And a massive thank you once again to the fantastic Jonathan Foster, David Rosen, and Daryl Edge for joining me at what was really, really short notice. Um, The guest who was lined up to be on... uh, the episode that was meant to drop today um, just couldn't make it. We all have life sometimes. Life sometimes gets in the way and uh, we can't do these things. And yeah, these guys, I thought, you know what? What what better time to talk about Vampire's Kiss than as we approach the spooky season? Um, if you haven't seen this film, you've got no excuse really if you live here in the UK. You can watch it on Freebie uh, via amazon prime uh yeah it's it's with ads but sometimes they just forget to really put them in they're not that intrusive it's not like watching them on a tubi or something where they're kind of every like four or five minutes this is like hey yeah have an ad like half hour in or whatever you'll it'll be fine it gives you a little little pee break you'll be fine we're all getting old we're all we'll need that time we'll need to re-up uh we'll yeah we'll need to call our therapist or we need to look on Amazon for some uh, vampire teeth uh, budget as well. We don't. We don't want those fiberglass, forty-five pound ones. We want those three pound fifty. Oh, 
um as for next week we're keeping it extra spooktacular here on caged in we revisit the coppola family with the 1992 francis ford coppola bram stoker's dracula i'll be joined by james rodriguez to discuss that film that has just hit it's 30th anniversary oh boy i caught this at the cinema uh, a couple of weeks back and i am excited to chat about this one uh, i hope you are as well i feel like this film has very much had um i don't know like a reevaluation over the years and uh, yeah um be sure to join me and james next week as we discuss Bram Stoker's Dracula. Dracula. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you'd like to support this podcast and give me some money, as I said in the end of that, uh, things, yeah, I'm really bad at the moment with doing the doing the Patreon. I will get better, I assure you. The more of you sign up to it, more of you can guilt me into it uh, and go like, where's our extra content? And I'll do it. Or maybe I should do the extra content and then people will come. What is it they say? Make it and they will come. So yeah, maybe I need to uh, live by that rules instead of uh, just <laughs> feeling guilt that, that people are paying for something uh, like masses and masses of people. At the moment, I should feel guilt because there are still people paying me each month. I'm still not delivering them content, which I am so sorry for, guys. I will I will get back around to it. I just need to pull my finger out of my ass and, um, yeah, start recording some more stuff. Um, if you don't want to part with your money, uh, which a lot of people don't, I, I totally understand that, you can head on over to apple podcasts spotify wherever you're listening to this right now leave a five star rating and review uh that would be fantastic always remember with your five star rating reviews on apple podcasts as well to let me know what you think bill murray says to scott johansson at the end of lost in translation or let me know what, what, what your entry point is to the Coppola family or, or what's your favourite Nicolas Cage film. I always love to know that information. So, yeah, drop it in your review. Give me, and more importantly, give me that five-star review, guys. Come on. Uh, it, it brings the eyes, it brings the people, it brings the ears to this here podcast. And if I do say so myself, it's a pretty damn fine podcast at that. So, yeah, um, lend me your fingers and thumbs that tip tap type away those reviews um so i guess i guess that's all for this week so uh, i haven't I haven't had this uh outro in a little while but i have been petros patsilvis i've been caged in you've been amazing remember to keep it caged in and i'll catch you next time Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Copa Connections, A Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.